Hi everyone, welcome to Totally Dissolved, where we discuss all things coffee through the lens of education. I'm Kathy Hilberg. And I'm Bronwyn Serna. With the help of subject matter experts, we explore different facets of specialty coffee to educate ourselves and you. Thanks for joining us on our journey in an education in caffeination. Hey guys. What's up? We're back. So back. We're here again. Back from our summer vacations, <laughs> quote unquote vacations. Yeah, we just mostly stayed home. Yes. Did you go anywhere over the summer? We did. We went to Arizona for a hot minute, which was fun. Nice. Where in Arizona? Phoenix. We did get to see Tara. Nice. So shout out to Tara. Provision and coffee. We went to Provision, had nice. a great time, had some great coffees. Did you go to that new location? Yes. It looks so beautiful. It's so pretty. Um, yeah, cool. But yeah. Arizona, anything else? Um, we got a new job, which was great. We, you. Me, the royal <laughs> me. The royal me. Yes. Got a new job. So happy about it. You want to tell us something? Tell everyone about it? <gasps> yes. So, um, we are now working at Blue Bottle, Abbott Kinney, back behind the bar with Selena Vugera and her amazing team. Shout out season one. Exactly. <laughs> and... Having an amazing time making me fall in love with coffee again. Thank you, Blue Bottle. Thank you, Selena. Thank you, Abbott Kinney peeps. They are amazing. So I fun. happy cry every week. I cry every week, but it's amazingly happy. That's awesome. <laughs> so, love it. That's yeah, great. and learning, continuing to learn more about coffee, which is super interesting. Yeah. Very cool. Love it. Yeah. How about you, Kathy? No new jobs here, which Thank is great God. because we're recording at Stumptown. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Stumptown. And I'm very happy. I like it here. Um, yeah, no new jobs. Um, what else? I didn't go on any trips this summer. Stayed home. We saving. were planning on doing a cute little road trip together. We were, but saving dollars. I got to yeah, save money. Yeah, saving dollars. Exactly. I am going out of town in a couple of weeks. I'm going to go visit my friends in Minnesota. So it's been a while since I've been back there. Um, which I just have to say, I'm not from there. Every time I say that I'm going there to visit my friends that I used to, you know, I used to live there, people think I'm from there. Um, and I guess I give off a Midwestern vibe but I'm from here. Um, and yeah, going back during the fall so that it's like kind of cooler and gives me a little bit of the taste of the weather changes that I liked about it, but not like January weather. So true. yeah, spending like eight days there in October. That so, sounds amazing. Yeah, save, saved up my airline points, you know, <laughs> staying with nice. friends, it's a cheap vacation. We love that. Yeah, that's about it for me. Nothing crazy over the summer. Nice. Keeping it low-key. Yeah. 
And because we're here in California, we did spend time on the beach, so that was kind of nice. I really didn't go to the beach a single time. There's still time. There's still time. It's still warm. You have a few more days till official fall. Yeah, so. it's still warm. <laughs> it's, it's fine. It's California. Los Angeles. I just hate going to the beach when all the children are at the beach, because then it's more crowded, because all the families are there. Not because I think, I mean, children can be annoying, sure. But, you know, uh, it's just more people are, like, free to go to the beach, and I don't want to deal with the parking or finding a spot and all True. that. So It's a whole process. My social anxiety takes over. Um, cool. Well, now that we have a recap that nobody asked for, um, what's in our cup? Oh my gosh, I'm very excited about this. It is Cometeer. Surprise. Bla- no one's surprised. surprised. No one's, that's true. <laughs> we're, we're fans of Cometeer, but also it's Cometeer Black and White. Yes, which is a little hint. Of who is to come for our first episode this season. Yes. It is the original, so it is an Ethiopian coffee. Um, yeah, really <laughs> delicious. Yeah. It says notes of citrus, honey, and chocolate, which is coming through. But I feel like it's even more complex than that, which is really great considering that we're drinking, like, yes, an instant coffee of sorts, you know? Yeah. This is my obviously my favorite instant coffee since I talk about it regularly. Um, but, yeah, I think it's really good. Yeah. And I normally have it black. I know you normally have it with have milk. It, like, latte style basically yeah, i do love it as a latte the darker roast i love this oh, yeah. as a latte style it's so good yeah i just do like four ounces of milk yeah it's like oh. real bitty and it yeah numbs i love it yeah so this is this is delicious thank you commentator thank yeah. you black and white um but our guest today yes has been a longtime fan of the pod. I would say he's our number one fan. We'll let them confirm that themselves. I mean, but not one of our biggest fans. I wouldn't <laughs> say that, like, we're making a statement about her. Through, like, you know, as far as, like, all of the other people out there, she's one of the biggest supporters. Yes, that's how I would put it. <laughs> she's our number one fan, but she might be a bigger fan of something else, and that's fine. We're also fans of this person. Oh, yes. So. Big time. Such a big fan. Um, and I'm very, very excited to talk to them about roasting today, which is going to be so fun. Everyone? And go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, everyone, <laughs> it's Roaster Cat. Cat <laughs> Melheim, soon to come. Stay tuned. It'll be a fun and very educational episode. Welcome, Kat. Hello. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. Um, So if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself to the listeners, take it away. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, I'm Kat Melheim, also known as Roaster Kat on Instagram. I'm a roaster, former barista, writer, artist, publisher of Coffee People Zine, uh, all around coffee person. And yeah, I've been in coffee for just about just, just over a decade now, which is kind of wild to think about. Um, but yeah, 
been here been here for a while plan on sticking around it's a good time <laughs> very cool um and the big question what's in your cup what's in my cup <laughs> i am very excited about this so i have uh i can't drink beer because i have a gluten intolerance and i actually haven't been drinking since like the summer but there's this brewery here in north carolina that creates this product called hop water uh, so it's backwards for you on the video but uh hot yeah hop water and they use different types of hops and they pair them with like fruit juices or citrus so this is a lemon lime with citra hop sparkling water that's so delicious because i love the like bitterness of like hops and i love the citrus acidity of of fruits and things so it's like a perfect refreshing beverage so hot water that sounds amazing yeah it does i actually kind of want to be drinking that too there's a brand that we have i've seen here called hop water but it's like wtr so it's symmetrical mm. three letters mm. on top mm. and bottom <laughs> um but i really like that but i like the idea of it having like citrus and stuff in it too that sounds really nice mm -hmm. And they pair different types of hops. So this one has citra hops. Mm -hmm. They have other ones, like they have galaxy hops and like, and they pair that with other fruits. Like they have a mango one. It's so Ooh. tasty. Cool. So our first time in a while, thank you for being a long time listener. I Absolutely. Did I love this podcast. I did call you our number one fan in the intro, which I feel like I have to maybe just tell you now. And Bronwyn was like, well, what will that hurt say? You know, and I was like, well, I mean, to us, you are our number one listener, I feel like. Yeah. No, so. I, lo I love this. I love your podcast. I love how you take a unique look, but a necessary look at coffee and coffee education, because I feel like there are so many coffee podcasts out there where people are just talking or interviews where they go you know they interview the same people over and over and it's almost like any interview with x person is the same and you don't learn anything new but i feel like with your podcast it's so refreshing because your questions are great people talk about the things that they're really knowledgeable about rather than just rehashing how they you know came up in the coffee industry so i think it's really valuable i love your podcast <laughs> I try not to well we try not to ask the same questions because like I'm also very aware of all of that and that's partially why we started this podcast so yeah, yeah. for sure well there are some questions that you know some people must touch on every time because it's crucial to who they are or how they how they um, engage in the industry but yeah I think I, I learned something new I feel like about coffee and about each of your interviewees every time that I listen to the podcast. Yay. Thank so you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> I'm so excited. And that's honored. why we wanted to have you on because you're a, a multi-talented human, which I'm already like, well, I want, we want you on our podcast, but multiple times, but the first time I definitely want you to talk about roasting. And we'll definitely yeah. have you on again for Coffee People Zine because I love the fact that you have taken a creative stance on coffee as well. So, but we want to bring you on specifically to discuss roasting. 
And one of the things that stood out to me, particularly because you do such an amazing job on your YouTube channel, as well as like your Instagram on your journey to roasting. And because you just celebrated 10 years in coffee, congratulations. Um, thank you, thank you. What was that pivotal moment where you decided you wanted to pursue roasting? Yeah, I, my entry into roasting was less of a pivotal moment and more a couple of side steps. <laughs> I, so I got into coffee originally as a barista and I was living and working in Denver at the time. And I had a lot of friends who either owned shops or um, like were managing shops or working around shops and f friends uh, who I didn't want to like, I, you know, when you work with somebody, things like change in your friendships and your relationships. So I had a number of people that I really looked up to, respected but didn't necessarily want to work with or for just in case something went sideways. Uh, so I got a job at, and I also, it was at a point where it was a, about four years into my like barista coffee journey. I also did a little bit of like cafe managing and like a little bit of social media stuff. This was what, 2000. 16, 17. Um, and I kind of realized that I didn't want to continue. I didn't want to be a, a cafe manager and I didn't want to go down a path of being a cafe owner. And so I looked around and was like, okay, what else is there? Do I even want to be in coffee? I don't know. So, but I saw that roasting was a different avenue. So I thought, okay, if I want to stay in coffee, like, still split on that but if i want to i want to start working like in the in the roastery rather than in a cafe so i got a job at a place where i didn't know anybody so that you know if i absolutely hated it i could quit within two weeks and i wouldn't burn any bridges or make any enemies of former friends um, <clears throat> and uh and that i ended up working there for years. It was a place called Logan House Coffee Company in Denver. Uh, and they, I, I got a job as a barista knowing that they had a roastery and basically just made myself available for the roastery if they needed help. And very soon after I started there, their volume increased to the point where they needed somebody to help the owner who was roasting at the time. And I just raised my hand and basically made myself available and yeah, just the, the number of hours that he needed help continued to grow. And I continued to fill that space and learned more and more about roasting. Um, so it was less of like one pivotal moment and more like, well, I, I guess I'll try this. And then I really love, I love roasting. I <laughs> love roasting so much. Um, partially because I, love to continue to learn and I love to problem solve and with roasting I mean each new machine is totally different but once you learn your machine each new coffee is different and so you have to continuously problem solve and be figuring out like 
what you did to a coffee and how that changed how it tastes and then go back and tweak something else and see if it changes something else. It's just like a constant like playtime, <laughs> I feel like with coffee. Um, so that's kind of what kept me hooked in roasting, I guess, uh, was just being like, I could do this forever and coffee is always changing and it, there is no end. <laughs> Amazing. I feel like that's kind of similar to my story, but I decided that I didn't like roasting um, because I didn't like sitting next to the hot machine, uh, just <laughs> staring, you know, for a long time. I feel like it's just like different jobs for different personalities. And it's Definitely. great to have had the opportunity to like figure it out in a space where you like could have walked away if you're like, oh, this isn't for me. But I'm, that's awesome that you fell in love with it. Yeah. What was that yeah. roast think- that you... Um, that, that you first roasted on? That I learned on? It was a Sona Fresco fluid bed roaster that was like, it's like a little glass canister uh, that just has like hot air pumping through it. Um, luckily, we outgrew that within a couple of, like within six months of me starting there. And then we got a 15 kilogram Loring, which is the first, like, act. No shade to Sona Fresco. They're great. But this is the first uh, more traditional roaster, even though it's still uh, like a fluid bed, more air roaster, but it has a drum that spins more traditionally like like other, well, technically the paddles inside the drum spin, but we don't need to go into all of that. <laughs> it's a, the, the Loring is like my first big roaster. How about I'll say? Um, which like at the time, at the time, there are still people who throw shade on, on Loring's. I love them as partially, I think because I started on a Loring, but I remember at the time of 2017, 2018, like the industry was just saying no good coffee can come from Loring's. There's no way. And like, it's always going to taste hollow. It's always going to taste baked. It's always going to blah, blah, blah. And I remember just being so frustrated at as, as a new roaster, like, no, but I think, but I think it can be good. Um, and now here we are like six years later and I'm, we're I'm at black and white. We have three Lorings. I know like Huckleberry, you know, they're, they won roast magazine roaster of the year. They have a Loring, like everybody's using Lorings now. So. And they're great. Yeah, I feel like I remember hearing that too. That like, oh, it tasted like it was roasted on a Loring, and you know, all these comments about them. But I feel like it's just us having new technology and people who are used to the old way not knowing how to approach it, and then also thinking that because they know how to do it one way, that it doesn't apply here. Then and it's not working, so it's not good which I yeah. feel like we don't need to go down the road with this, but I feel like that's kind of <laughs> happening with like super auto machines that are like able to actually make pretty good coffee, but you just have to approach things differently. Yeah. 100%. I mean, yeah, we don't have to go that, down that ro- rabbit hole, but also I love the Neversys. <laughs> Mostly <laughs> they can steam coffee. milk like nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so you know, it sounds like you've had a mixture of types of education and I've seen, you know, from Instagram, you've talked a little bit about, um, sort of like the various ways that you learned, um, over time. Can you talk a little bit about 
how things are changing or have changed since you started learning and how maybe there's more accessibility in roasting education and learning since you started? Yeah, for sure. I was so, so, so lucky to start at, at Logan House where I started. Within my first year there, they sent me to the SCA Roasting Fundamentals course. So I have had formal roasting education as far as like the SCA is concerned, mm -hmm. um, which I think is a, is a valuable, it's a, it's a valuable course. Um, but there's nothing like getting to just roast a bunch. Um, and I feel like and also just like see coffee being roasted a bunch, which that's definitely something that is different now than it was six years ago. I mean, in roasting, but also in latte art, also in brewing, you know, methods, um, that there's so much more information out there on YouTube, on Instagram, um, like people have made other courses that you can on podcasts um and just there's so much information out there that wasn't out there when when I was first starting um so that's definitely increased the the level of accessibility to roasting education I mean Mill City for anyone out there who like wants a crash course in roasting Mill City's YouTube channel has two seasons of a roaster school and it's an amazing first education in in roasting and that that existed I think they maybe came out with that in 2000 somewhere between 16 and 18 so it was like right when I was starting and it, yeah, it was instrumental in solidifying the things that I was learning as I was also just roasting myself. Um, I think there's also a better understanding or more recognition now that people who are non-white, people who are non-men, people who are of minority status have not had the same access to education and uh, retreats and like different, like they haven't had the same access to success because they haven't had the same access to information as a lot of white guys. Mm -hmm. um, so there's still like a long, 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 long way to go. But I think there are more opportunities for folks to, to be able to access that information. And there are more folks who are not white men who are taking the lead on education programs and who are sharing their experience and their knowledge. So the people who are teaching aren't just white guys, uh, which I think is, you know, it's kind of the representation matters sort of a thing where if you only see white guys giving talks, you only see a certain demographic in the front of the, you know, in the front of the room, if you're not that demographic, you can't, it's harder to picture yourself there. So I think that there's more recognition that we need to 
open the open the floor to to other folks who have other experiences, um, which is great. <laughs> and there's still a long, a long, long way to go. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Does that answer the question? I feel like, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I feel like, especially cause when I started roasting, it was in the early aughts too. It's like, mm -hmm. yeah, early to mid aughts. And it was, you know, I learned from white men, but thankfully they were very supportive and I feel that roasting, you know, a lot of the learning and education gets passed down. So it's more of like a very hands-on versus, yeah, like you said, SCA formal training, like with Roasters Guild, like you have those guilds now with some mm -hmm. type of actual education where you're talking about more of the science. You have like the rise of the techn technological tools in roasting and it's yeah. really been, I think, super helpful for those that are getting more into not, you know, just like alternatives in the coffee industry, like where, like to pursue a career, you know, you have, you have actual things in and resources where you can look toward and see if it is for you versus like waiting around being like, oh, maybe I'll go work for this person or this company because they have a roaster and like kind of hope for the best. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And there's, there's definitely like, yeah, as you mentioned, technology and tools are becoming more like they're becoming cheaper. There are like, there are tools that you can like for a couple hundred bucks where you can measure the TDS of your, you know, extractions. There are roasters now that are, a couple thousand dollars rather than like tens of thousands of dollars. And of course, that's still a barrier to, you know, that, that's still a lot of money for a lot of people, but there are more affordable options and other avenues to get into a roastery and to get into, to, to learning um, the things that you need to, because roasting really is like very hands-on and you, you can't, you can't learn roasting just by watching videos. You really have to push the yeah. buttons and see, smell the beans and all of that. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I remember when I first, like I had no computerized tools. Everything was very like sight and smell. And you're just like, right. okay, I had a timer. I would track all of my roast curves by hand and my yeah. time clock. It was it was pretty awesome. So you really got to know your roaster when you when you were roasting on it. Um, what was the biggest learning curve for you? I the biggest learning curve, and I feel like I'm still. It, it's like present tense. The learning curve. <laughs> it's really sorting through all of the misinformation and finding what information is actually true for my roaster, for the coffees that my, you know, the company I work for buys, for the palettes of our QC team and our customers, um, which I think is kind of the other side of the coin of there's so much information out there, but it's not all, 
it shouldn't all be <laughs> heated, I suppose. Um, and, and I think that it's getting better than it used to be. Like it used to be like, if one person says a thing that is dogma, that is biblical, that is, you know, the truth, capital <laughs> letters. Um, and I think people are learning more now and realizing that just because one person says one thing it doesn't mean that that is true for everyone in roasting like i mean just just because somebody says you can't roast good coffee on a loring it doesn't mean that you can't maybe they couldn't find the way to do it or maybe their coffee just you know their approach to coffee didn't work on that machine um or like even getting technical with coffee roasting, like there was a, a time where, and people still come after me for this, that uh, if your roast curve has like a crash at the end of the curve and your rate of rise, so rate of rise for everyone who doesn't know is basically how quickly your temperature is changing in your, in your roaster and the lore is that if it if that number kind of goes down too fast your coffee is going to be bad like full stop no matter what it you can look at the roast curve and say this coffee tastes x y and z and that's not always true <laughs> like i've had some really really delicious juicy complex coffees that where the curve is wild, just like all over the place, uh, or it has a huge crash and then it flicks at the end, which everyone, a number of people say, means that the coffee is gonna be like unpalatable and undrinkable. And I know roasters who've seen that on their coffee and they've like just, it's, they don't taste the coffee. They just like throw it away and do any roast. I'm like, it's, that's just, no, not, yeah, <laughs> I can't, I'll, I'll go, I can go on rants about these sorts of things all day. Um, but like, yeah, so I think the, the biggest learning curve is picking out what information is applicable to you based on your equipment, your green coffee, and your desired result, be that, yeah, on the QC table. Um, and what information is maybe applicable to other people, maybe is leftover dogma from years ago when we like coffees were processed differently or we didn't have technology tracking software that we do now, or we didn't have probes that like, that's another thing, like the technology has increased, like the responsiveness of the technology has progressed so much in the, even in my time in roasting in like six, seven years that the probes now are so much more like temperature probes, like telling the, the temperature of the roasted coffee. They're so much more responsive now than they used to be. So what used to be true, maybe it was really true back then, but now the, the data is so much more fine tuned that it, you're not even like reading the same language. So 
yeah, it's a, it's a constant frustration because I get on my Instagram and on like YouTube guys who have read, you know, blog posts and they're telling me that my roast curves mean that my coffee tastes terrible. And I'm like, well, you haven't tasted it, but that's fine. <laughs> you can have your opinions. That's so interesting because like, I feel like with baristas, the, the thing is always like, what's the like latest and greatest tool? And I feel like I mm. constantly have to talk to baristas of like, okay, so like, does your coffee taste different than it did before you used the scalp scratcher? What is that tool called? <laughs> um, WDP. To, <laughs> I've never used one of those yet. Either. But Neither you know, people I. are just like using like nine things to prep their coffee before they actually make it like into a yeah. camped puck that they can brew yeah and like it's like are you just adding time to the process and making it look more complicated or are you getting results and so it's like what's the latest and greatest tool is like the barista thing and then I feel like with roasters it's like the approach that like old dentists and doctors take which is like well it worked before why would I get new technology it's like, well, because <laughs> it hurts me and I would really like if you didn't use you know the most ancient drill yeah. to drill my teeth um <laughs> So that's yeah. really, that's like, I, I knew that, but it's just like interesting to hear you say it. And I'm thinking about the mm -hmm. difference, like approach, the different approach that breaches take to new stuff. Um, not all of them, but a lot, you know, um, compared yeah, to others, sure. can be a little more hesitant to jump on board with stuff, which I guess it's like more expensive to get like the latest and greatest equipment for <laughs> a roaster, but still. It is true. Yeah, no, that's a very, that's a really good a really good point, a really good observation, the difference between like front of house, they're grabbing at the newest tools and back of house, we're just like, no, no yeah. change. <laughs> yeah. And there's, I think, uh, somewhere in between is maybe where we should all be landing, but yeah. Curiosity, it's a skeptical curiosity, maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, that was a tangent, but, um, oh, I love it. Uh, so let's talk about some roasting basics. So this might be like a little bit broad, so take it wherever your, your mind goes, but, um, how do you go about roasting a coffee? Like what's your general approach? And I know that maybe where you currently work, where, you know, at a given time in your career impacts that a little bit, but that's also probably yeah. informed your position now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I am at Black and White Coffee Roasters in Raleigh, North Carolina. I am a one of three, uh, actually four now, production roasters. So my job isn't to decide how the coffee will taste. Mm -hmm. My job is to make the coffee taste how my employers would like it to taste based on their experience with the sample roasts based on their knowledge of our machines. Um, so I have less influence over like, you know, bringing out what I want to. And it's much more of a, a technical job, which honestly I really enjoy. Uh, I like to be able to push buttons and know I did a good job. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I guess I can talk about black and white's approach and kind of compare that to 
other places that I've worked as well, just uh, as like a, a point of point of like touch points, I suppose. Um, but I feel like, and I'll start by saying in general, I feel like there's in specialty coffee, a general approach that you want to, as a roaster, bring the best out of the beans. Like each bean has this potential locked inside of it. And it's our job to release that potential to its fullest and not go over to destroy any of that. I somewhat resonate with that, but also I'm like, it's a little fanciful. That's <laughs> a little like, it's a little woo woo or like, I don't know. It's, it's a little magical for me. Yeah, it's the romantic side. Of, and I'm not, so I'm much more of like an analytical, practical person, generally speaking. Um, so at Black and White, we have uh, different colored labels. And the, so uh, yeah, this is kind of like Black and White's approach. We have different colored labels that kind of fall into different flavor categories. And so when the owners are purchasing coffee, they kind of have an idea of which of those flavor categories it'll fall into. So you're drinking the original, as you said, from uh, by a cometeer, uh, but the original is like a yellow label. So that's generally more like a washed Ethiopian, floral, delicate, uh, nuanced, complex, um, lighter roasted. There's a red label, which is more of like a natural profile. So pretty much all of those coffees will be naturally processed. So they'll be fruitier, uh, sometimes a little bit like boozy or like extended fermentations, uh, and they'll be juicier. And then we have a blue label, which is our kind of classic profile, more like Colum washed Colombian coffee is kind of the like the the idea the thought behind it I suppose um, not all blue labels are washed Colombians but they're more like chocolatey caramel um, like coffee coffee so those are the kind of the flavor categories that we have so when their owners are buying coffee they generally have an idea of what of those categories they'll fall into or what categories they're they blend into based on the coffee itself so it's really as a roaster my job to follow profiles that we have had for similar coffees to get those coffees to basically sit squarely in that flavor spectrum so when a customer like looks at the bag and the bag has a red tint, like it, it's red. They know that that's going to be fruity, juicy, like maybe a little boozy. And then we have flavor descriptors on the bags, but yeah, it's really to communicate to the, so the customers know when they pick up a bag, what they're getting. And so, yeah, it's my job as a production roaster to get it to fall in that, to basically to fulfill the promise that the bag is is making to the customer does that answer the question that that's kind of how i as a production roaster approach roasting 
different coffees. So it's kind of dictated to me how those coffees should be roasted. And yeah, we, we have, because black and white has been around since 2007, we have a long list of profiles that have worked for similar coffees before. Um, so what we do is when a new co coffee comes in, we basically roast it to a profile that is set from a very similar coffee in the past. And then we taste it to make sure that it's hitting those marks. And then we'll maybe increase the development time. We'll take it up or down a couple degrees. Um, but yeah, that's, that's that. And then I guess in past positions, uh, at Logan House, where I started, we roasted things a bit darker than we do at Black and White. Um, and I became the head roaster at Logan House. Uh, and my, my approach to coffees really revolved around the processing method. I paid more attention to processing method than most other metrics and then kind of secondary origins. So with processing methods, I would take the coffee, uh, naturally processed coffees. I would generally roast them longer to try and bring out the juicy, fruity flavors. Washed coffees are often more dense and I would roast them a little bit shorter uh, and give them more heat to try and like preserve the florals and the delicate aspects of those coffees. Uh, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> uh, depends on the coffee, but yeah, that's kind of the general approach uh, based on processing method. I found that origin, I've actually been thinking a lot more about varieties lately rather than origin country mm -hmm. um, in terms of how flavor is impacted um, because all the genetic information, all of the things that are in coffee flavor are have to do with the, the genetic information, which is based on variety, not necessarily based on where the coffee is grown. But yeah, I don't know. That's something I've been thinking about lately. I was just thinking about this too, actually. And I was like, what's a way that we could like test this? And I was like, my coworkers in New York, <laughs> Send me like a, I feel like a red delicious apple is like not what I want to try because they're not good, but um, like a Granny <laughs> Smith apple, you know, from New uh -huh, York State uh -huh. because I know that they grow apples there. I will probably get one that's from Washington because I'm yes. on the West Coast and like eat them side by side because like that's like an example of something where we can actually taste. I mean, obviously like there's coffees too. Like we have two coffees on our menu right now that are both Bourbon and one's from Rwanda and one is from Guatemala but there's also just like I don't know it's I just feel like it's harder to tell yeah. with something like a roasted product because we're taking like the fruit and it's getting processed in that place and then it's getting transported you know and, and there's just so many things that have happened to it so like it's hard harder to tell I feel like but that's also the point so I don't know yeah <laughs> Yeah, for sure. That would be with apples. That would be a super, a super, or like eat cherries. I feel like because Rainier cherries are from, you know, like Rainier, Washington, but they also grow them elsewhere, right. I yeah. believe. 
So like if you get cherries or peaches, or yeah, different fruits. Um, yeah, but yeah, that is super interesting. I, I also think I've been thinking about this lately that, you know, when I first started coffee and I'm, I'm sure you guys, well, tell me if you've had a similar experience that oftentimes a country and a processing method would be like married together and tied together. But, and so if you got a coffee from Kenya, it was washed. Or if you got a coffee from Colombia, it was washed. And if you got a coffee from Ethiopia, it was natural, maybe washed. But now so many more producers are experimenting with different processing methods that it, it used to be that you could tell a flavor profile by origin because it had a certain variety and probably a certain process. But now, yeah, they're doing different processes everywhere. They're also, they've brought different varieties all over the world. Like Panama Geisha is from Ethiopia, but became like popularized in Panama. And now it's like, you know, the whole, the big thing. Uh, but yeah, there, so there are more, like the things that make coffee taste a certain way are now being all mixed together in, in from in yeah. different places from different places. So the fla flavor isn't necessarily as much of a given as it used to be, which is super exciting. Yeah, I I agree. I feel like the lines are really blurred. On like, there used to be these like sort of like borders around like what a coffee tasted like because of where it was from just like those country borders sort of like kept that flavor in that place but right. that means also that like there's more accessibility of information for producers which i think is something that like specialty coffee has been really striving for is like more education um, for producers and I, you know i think that's something that could be improved more still but yeah. I think that that's like a really tangible way that we're seeing that it's like that information is getting exchanged. What yeah. I also and find interesting about that is you, because there is so much more resources for the farmers, like you as a roaster too, have the opportunity to like work with the same coffee process different ways from like long-term partners. And that's always like, I've seen a lot more of that as well coming yeah. from different roasters from around the country, not just black and white, but like, yeah, you have opportunities for, for trying as a consumer to like different coffees from the same place that are the same variety done in different ways. And like you as a roaster having fun with creating those profiles and like tasting those coffees to bring out the best in that. And I also feel nowadays too because there's so many different processes it's like <laughs> I don't You're know what me. tastes good anymore <laughs> it's too yeah. fast what is it's happening too fast for me <laughs> it, it is a little bit of a whirlwind it is truly which yeah it's it's exciting but it, and I think yeah as you said there's more access to information but there's also access to the market for producers in ways that they haven't had before. And there's also access to new markets because there are also new roasters, some of whom, as we said, you know, it used to be you had to basically apprentice under the one or two like people that you knew in a big roastery, but now 
people are starting their own roasters, having never roasted coffee before, having never been in the coffee industry before. And they're coming with different palettes. They're coming with different desires. They're coming with different missions. And they there's a, a, a wider ability to connect with producers who are doing different things. So like, there's a lot more, a lot, a lot more play, play area. The, the playground is a lot bigger, which yeah, is like a little bit scary sometimes. Cause it's like, wait, is this good? Or is it just weird and different? And maybe that's, maybe it doesn't need to be one or the other, but. Um, so the other question that we wanted to ask about roasting basics is, um, different, like, approaches on roasting with different types of roasters. Um, yeah. I feel like you've talked a little bit about like your experience with Loring. I assume that, you know, you've had opportunities on other types of equipment, whether that's been at other jobs or like Roasters Guild Retreat or whatever, but. Yeah, I roasted on a Diedrich IR-12. Um, so that's very much a like traditional drum roaster. That's the other, like, that's the other machine that I've worked on at a job. Um, so yeah, it was a Loring, then a Diedrich, now Lorings. Um, and the, it's hard to necessarily one-to-one, um, like compare the approaches or the processes because all three companies that I worked for were very different and they were buying very different coffees mm -hmm. and, had very different customer bases. Um, so I think really what I, most of what I want to say on that is to encourage people who are listening to learn their machines and not take shit from anybody talking about how they're doing it wrong. <laughs> if they haven't, if, if whoever's talking hasn't used that machine, um, because yeah, every, every machine is, is very different. So with, I'll say some like technical stuff. So with the Loring, the, the way that it's built, it doesn't have different controls for airflow and heat application. Most roasters, there is a fan and there is a burner. So you can, you can turn up the heat via the burner or turn down the heat via the burner. You can turn up the airflow via the fan or turn it down. And you can do those independently of one another. With the Loring, it's all tied together. So you have one thing that you can change and adjust at any given moment. Um, and there are 20 seconds at the beginning of the roast where you can't do anything. So no heat is going into the machine because the because airflow blah 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 um but a lot of people have started playing with that and we do this at black and white where we don't turn on the heat for sometimes a minute sometimes two minutes in the beginning of the roast so basically the machine has a bunch of hot air in it so when the coffee goes in we let it it's called the soak is the technical term all it means is you don't turn on the heat right away. It's like, it's like a jargon term that is like 
it's not scary or fancy. It just means you don't turn up the heat right away. Um, so at Black and White, we do this process called the soak where we don't turn on the heat because on a Loring, for the first 20 seconds, you can't, even if you wanted to, you can't. But we've also found that with our coffee and with the pro the the kind of approach that we take to coffees, it helps us slow down the absorption of heat into the beans so that we can get the development time and like the development we want at the end of the roast. Um, and some people will say that, well, so yeah, so we do that at black and white with the Loring. With the Diedrich, when I was at, um, I worked at Allegro Coffee Roasters for a bit, the Diedrich cannot do that. If you don't turn on the heat in the first minute, you will have a 20 plus minute roast because it just cannot catch up to, like the, the heat cannot get into the beans because of the way that, that the machine is built. Basically, the, the Loring uses air, which can push heat into the beans a little bit more nimbly. Um, and the Diedrich uses, I mean, a burner underneath the drum. So it has, the heat has to go from the burner through air into the surface of the drum, into the drum itself. Uh, so it's a lot less responsive and it's a lot more sluggish. Some people, and I love the coffee that I put out on the Dietrich. It was not that one was better or one was worse. It's just, you can't use the same approach if you want to get the same result. Yeah. But every machine is different. Even at Black and White, are three Lorings, like they're three different sizes and they all work differently. Like the, uh, so it, it's, yeah, the, my biggest thing on talking about different roasting machines is if you're a roaster, learn your machine really well. And then, yeah, don't, if, if somebody's telling you you're doing something wrong, have some self-reflection be like hmm i wonder where they're coming from i wonder like what would happen if i tried that but you know your machine and that that's the the most important thing very wise words yes yeah for <laughs> sure and like i totally love roasting on different roasters like i've never roasted on a loring but i began on gas like on a probot like a 1960s mm -hmm. probot like that was a ah. drum roaster. And I went from that to a perforated drum roaster, which was totally <laughs> different to roast on. And yeah, it was wild. And I've never roasted really on an air or convection type of roaster, which produces vastly different mm -hmm. coffees. Yeah. And we just like, got, yeah. But they were all sure. just super interesting to learn on. And yeah. What are some of the highlights you've learned and garnered over the last 10 years of your stinting uh, feel like I love to travel. So every time I've been able to go to coffee origin, like farms and visit and like see coffee growing has, have been 
highlights for me. Um, because I love to travel and also because I love to like see new things and I like to connect dots. And so it's just it kind of, yeah, brings everything full circle. Um, I think also a, a through line highlight is just how much, as we've been talking about, how much more accessible, how much more open, how much more, like how much more there is now than even when I started, how much more to learn, how many more people to connect with, uh, how many more different processes, uh, just like seeing that growth within the industry in the time that I've been here is really encouraging and thrilling to me. It's like, we're definitely in a dynamic industry and it's a, it's a cool place to be. What about you guys? I want to know what you, what are your highlights? <laughs> highlights. Oh, I mean, that's a good question. Um, for me, like, like yourself, just seeing how much change has occurred, just even in the short period of time in the last, yeah, like five, six years, just how much more knowledge and accessibility to those resources have come forward, just seeing the, the increase in diversity as well, just within mm -hmm. our industry, which is great. Um, yeah, and just meeting more new people and constantly gaining, like, there's always something new to learn and more to learn, which is, which is awesome. Yeah. yeah. I would definitely agree with that. And then on, like, a personal highlight note, I mean, obviously, like, I'm part of that, so getting to meet all of the people and experience all of the growth and all of that. But, like, in my personal career, I feel like the biggest highlight for me is like the people who took a chance on me early on and at like mm -hmm. different jobs, giving me the opportunities that I've had. I've been really fortunate to like, like I said, have the opportunity to roast, have the opportunity to do production and have the opportunity to like dip my toe into training all at my first coffee job or like yeah. good coffee job. The first place was they're closed. So I'm not hurting anyone's feelings, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I like, that was cool. And then like when I was in Minnesota working as an educator, like full time, like I had barely been there like a few months before someone was like, do you want to do this full time? And I said, yes. And I didn't really know how to do it other than like, I knew how to like train someone to use an espresso machine, but not run a training program. Um, and I, you know, took it and I ran with it, but I wouldn't have been able to do that if it hadn't have been for like the people who were willing to take a chance on me at the various yeah. jobs I was at. So I would say Aww. I've gotten to do a lot of stuff in my coffee career that, you know, I've been in coffee for like 12 years now, but I feel like a lot of the stuff I did that was really cool, like happened early on. And so like not that many people get to go to origin within their like first couple of years working in coffee. And so, Yeah. Yeah. That would be mine, I think. That's precious. I love that. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, we're on to our game portion, but I did just want to say, I feel like you got to say a lot of nice things about <laughs> us at the beginning. I just, I love your Instagram and I love getting to like see your like videos that you post because of the way that you approach education and like training you know, people through Instagram is like, 
you're doing it for free because you love it because you care about the coffee industry and you care about what you're doing and I feel like you're one of the people that explains things more fully like even just talking in this podcast you like stop and explain what things are that a lot of people in your position would just gloss over because they're common like lingo that you're used to um so making a little plug for your platforms that if people are trying to like figure out stuff even like just about coffee in general I feel like you don't just cover roasting stuff um it's a great resource and the video that Uh you posted of processing coffee in Hawaii totally (laughs) helped me so helpful I do not understand the difference between like natural and washed anaerobic and I was like oh okay I see it with my eyes I understand the difference now that was like amazing so (laughs) thank you yeah thank you for saying that I appreciate it because that's I mean one of my biggest frustrations with the coffee industry especially when I was starting was how many times people name drop or use acronyms or talk about (laughs) like certain like talk about things as if you just should know it and if you don't like if you don't then you're just kind of like shit out of luck and you don't you don't actually then you don't learn if you don't have the context behind what it is people are talking about. Totally. Um, and so that, that's something it's an approach that I try and take with my with yeah, I'll, with my Instagram and um, trying to make things easily digestible with the least amount of like, blah, 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 you know, just like trying to least amount of ego possible basically like no everyone should be able to understand stuff it's really not that hard like if we just can explain stuff in simple terms well are you ready for the games yeah let's play the games we've got we've got a sip dump chug and and a teachable spromance um love it so let's let's start with the sip dump chug you think yes okay great for sure um so the first one are you ready i guess maybe i should explain what a sip dump chug is in case people are just listening to this one episode um but it's our version of (laughs) fuck mary kill i was like i'm gonna say that yes we swear on it this (laughs) show it's fine this is a sweary pod once in a while so you know yeah (laughs) yeah so we just tried to make it coffee words so yeah sip dump chug we're going to do three of them. So, Kat, the first one is mm-hmm. air roasters, gas roasters, and curveball wood fire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, well, we have a wood fire roaster here in Raleigh that I did regrettably go to. So, I am going to dump that one immediately it's <laughs> trash it's terrible <laughs> the talk about the romanticism but it's just bad bad unless unless let me say if you're at an ethiopian coffee ceremony and they're roasting that stuff right in front of you that's that's the stuff right there yeah. that I, w- I will take that but if you're talking like gimmick they're roasting it over cedar chips because the cedar imparts uh, this, that, and the other. No, it just tastes like charcoal. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> um, 
So I'm jump I'm jumping jumping the wood fire. Oh, um I'm gonna I'm gonna sip on I'm gonna sip on the air roaster because I want to like prolong my time with it. I love air roasters. I I just love them. Uh and then I guess I'll chug the chug the gas roaster. Also because you know most coffee most coffee roasters are gas powered. I feel like most coffee that you drink you chug, so we're going. Sip sip on the air, dump the freaking wood and <laughs> and chug the gas. Nice. Great. Okay. So I love that one. Um I I put this as bean type because there was an episode last season that I asked Google what were the top uh, varieties and it gave me pea berry which I realize is not so bean type <laughs> we've got pea berry this is like roasting it roasting pea berry okay. roasting okay. something like Tipica or something large like Margo Hipe or Pacamara so I guess we're talking like mm. dense to less dense all right <laughs> uh-huh 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 I'm gonna say sip the Tipica again because I feel like no 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 I'm going to I'm gonna sip the Pacamara Margot Hipe Big Bean whatever uh, because I feel like sipping it, it, it's like a gentler approach. So with the bigger beans, usually they're less dense. So you want to roast them with a more more gentle approach, generally speaking. <clears throat> uh, dump the pea berry, I guess. Uh, because I feel like I feel like pea berries. I don't know. Sometimes they're some pea berries are great but other times like i don't know i give it give it take it or leave it um i've had pea berries that are great but well i maybe i'll say okay uh, <laughs> i have a little bit of a personal story of competition with pea berries because i competed in the roasters competition a couple of times and one time I was sorting my coffee and I sorted out all the pea berries. And this was like within my first couple of years of roasting. And I was like, oh, these ones are different. So they're going to roast differently. So I'm going to sort them out and not roast them at all. Mm -hmm. Turns out pea berries are generally a little bit sweeter than other coffees. And I sorted all of the good sweet stuff out. <laughs> and so my coffee was not very good. So I have a little vendetta against pea berries <laughs> because <laughs> they, they, they did me dirty or really I did them dirty. So I guess it's my own fault. Um, <laughs> and then I'll ch I'll chug the Tipica. Um, cause it's Tipica. It's solid. It's, it's, it's all, I mean, and it's one of the, uh, like a base for so many other coffee varieties and like hybridized varieties and cultivars uh, that it's like just it's always there amazing i love your story yeah. about the pea berry it's so good <laughs> <laughs> thank you 
Okay, last. I got second to last. I got second to last in that competition. (laughs) All right, the last one, because you are a jumpsuit influencer now. Um, (laughs) Yes. Wild Fang, Duluth Trading, or Dickie's Jumpsuits? Oh, that's so hard. (laughs) Because I have all of, I have one, I have at least one of each of those. We did a little research on your Instagram to make sure. (laughs) Yeah, that you had all of those. Because I know you, you sport many. Because we were like, yes, I don't know. Does she have any car hearts? I don't have, I don't have the car hearts. You a lot of them are like a lot thicker, thicker and yeah. since roasting you're like standing next to a very very hot machine i don't have i don't have the car hearts um okay <sighs> sip dump chug wild fang duluth dickies i'm going to chug duluth trading co because that shit is good they like it, it's my it's my like go to every day best one it's also the my Duluth Trading Co is also like a, a tank top version uh, which is so nice in a hot roastery um oh no so that's what that was chug the Duluth I'm gonna sip on oh god this is so hard. This is a really good one. Uh, I'll sip, sip on the wild fang. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go this way. I'm gonna sip the wild fang because I don't actually wear my wild fang jumpsuits to roast. I wear my wild fang jumpsuits out in public. You're fashionable. Yes. Yes. Uh, so it's not an everyday sort of uh, wearer because, first of all, they're expensive as hell. Like they're so, and I've only I have a rule for myself. I only buy Wild Fang if it's on sale. So <laughs> I, all of my Wild Fang have been fifty percent off because otherwise they're they're not affordable. Uh, also, yeah, I just don't want to mess them up, so I don't wear them at work. Uh, so that means I guess I have to dump the Dickies, which I guess that makes sense. Not because I don't like them, but because they're the they're the least distinctive, and so if I had to get rid of one, it would have to be the Dickies. It's a hard That's game. So hard. It's a hard one. <laughs> you like all of this. Is emotional. <laughs> this is an emotional time for me. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Love it. And I know you, so our last portion, teachable sprouts, just because, I mean, you have you have sprinkled various teachable sprouts throughout our conversation, mm-hmm. but is there one extra that you want to part with? It could be related yeah. to roasting or just coffee in general, since, you know, we have been talking about roasting quite a bit, but it could just be <laughs> another fun one. Yeah, well, I guess... This is kind of a fun one. It's kind of related to coffee, but more related to like palate training. So as a, like, I really think that the mark of a good roaster is the ability to execute your plan, but also palate. Like you have to know, you have to know what you're tasting. 
Um, so something that I just recently learned is that M&Ms have different, the, the, like their holiday flavor, their holiday colors, they use different dyes to make their holiday colors than they do their regular colors. So holiday M&Ms taste different to regular M&Ms. And right now, the reason I know this is because uh, someone at Black and White brought in a bag of Halloween M&Ms and they're green, orange, and purple. And I can tell the difference between the green, orange, and purple. Like we were testing each other. Uh, and yeah, I didn't know that M&Ms use different dye ingredients for their Halloween ones and that you can tell the difference and everything is palette training. That is actually super helpful. I'm going to buy bags of M&Ms now. Thank you for that. I didn't know that they made Halloween ones specifically. I knew about like the, like, you know, the like Christmas, Christmas ones. holiday ones. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but that's good to know. And I also mm -hmm. want to try them. Yes. Next yeah. Episode. I didn't. Yes. <laughs> Great for palette training. Yes. That's amazing. Thank you for that. Interesting. Yeah. Definitely check it. Get it. Get some Halloween M&Ms. Do some palette training. See if you can tell the difference. It's pretty great. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, this was yeah. a great first episode of the season. Sorry, I was so verbose. I like talked oh, no. so much. It's, <laughs> we don't mind our guests being verbose. You guys have all, all of them, I find, have a lot of great things to say. So yeah. It's hard to pack everything so, well, into one episode, so we'll just have to have you back. That's true, that's true. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I am, like, I am your number one fan. I have been, li I have listened to all of your episodes, and I'm thrilled that you wanted to have me on to talk about roasting, because I, I love, love the work that you do and love all of the information that you're sharing and what you're contributing to the industry, so thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Same back to you. So before you leave, Kat, um, what are socials, et cetera, that we can find you at? Yeah, so my Instagram is where I'm most active, and that's at RoasterCat, spelled K-A-T. And I, yeah, I'm on there basically every day. Send me a message. I respond to literally every comment and every message. I probably should stop because it's a lot of work, but I love it, and that's, that's why I do it. So... Uh, yeah, find me at RoasterCat on Instagram. On YouTube, I'm slowly, steadily building like a, a bank of videos on YouTube. That's also RoasterCat. Um, so if you just yeah go on, go on YouTube or Google and type in RoasterCat, I'll be there. And then if you want to follow the zine, we haven't talked much about that, but if you want to follow my publication, that's Coffee People Zine. Uh, like second half of magazine on Instagram as well. Thank you again to Kat for sharing her experience and insights on roasting. We hope that this conversation gives aspiring roasters and current roasters a different perspective and gives you the inspiration to explore and question further. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week to talk more coffee with you all. Until then, continue to drink good coffee. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And keep up with us on Instagram at Totally Dissolve Pod.
Send us questions or thoughts in the DMs or email us at totallydissolvedpod at gmail.com. Bye Bye for for now. now.